Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. A lot of times you don't have the most ideal data situation to explore the question that you want at hand, but there's still value in asking that question. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Before the Affordable Care Act, about half of the more than 500,000 people experiencing homelessness in the United States were uninsured, ineligible for Medicaid, and unable to afford private health insurance. The ACA's Medicaid expansion, which was taken up by 38 states and the District of Columbia, has extended coverage to many people experiencing homelessness. How have these coverage gains translated into changes in how people experiencing homelessness use healthcare services? That's our topic for today. On today's episode of A Health Policy, I'm joined by Dr. Jarell Self, a researcher in health program improvement at Mathematica and an adjunct faculty member at the Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine. Self and co-authors published a study in the January 2021 issue of Health Affairs that uses administrative data to examine emergency department visits and hospitalizations by homeless adults in the first three years after the state of Arkansas expanded Medicaid. The data reveal some interesting patterns and tell us a lot about the healthcare needs of this population. Dr. Self, welcome to the program. Thanks, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Before we get into the findings of the paper, tell us a little bit about why you chose this topic for study. Of course. So before beginning my doctoral studies at Tulane, I worked at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. And with the team there, I worked to evaluate the Arkansas Section 115 demonstration, also known as the private option. Although the impact of the private option had been well studied through that evaluation, we looked at utilization, we looked at health outcomes, and we looked at per member per month costs. But before you go further, just for those who aren't as familiar, because the Arkansas private option got a lot of uh, attention at the time, but it's now been around for a while. So that's a, a position taken by the state that was quite unique, which is that in doing the Medicaid expansion, the people who gained coverage were, instead of being covered by a traditional Medicaid program, they were going to be put in the Affordable Care Act insurance exchange along with people who had private coverage. Is that right? That is correct. But what was very unique about this group of individuals, the homeless that we chose to focus on in the paper, they were put into the traditional Medicaid pool. So we identified them through a data source that we had available to us uh, based on our screener that we developed with AHRQ, where there was a question, someone self-responded that they were homeless. And so through that question, we were then able to track these individuals. And what was very novel was the fact that we always knew the homeless was such an understudied population. And so the policy impact of being able to identify that population, as well as look at the impact of them gaining coverage, was very unique and one of the driving forces of why I chose to study this topic. So that's great. I'm going to back us up one more time for those who aren't steeped in these things. So AHRQ, of course, is the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And your comment about uh, the private option, just to, again, make sure we're all kind of working from the same starting point. So the idea was the expansion population should go into private plans, but those who had particularly high needs, they were screened and they were placed in a traditional Medicaid program. And the homeless population was considered a high need population. So even though 
when people talk about the the private approach uh, that Arkansas took, that actually didn't apply to everyone. That is correct. So that is something that's very important in interpreting our findings, that we were looking at a population that was put into as close to a traditional Medicaid population as they could have without being identified as traditionally Medicaid, which we know is largely pregnant women, people that are disabled, that sort of population. Okay. Sorry for all those interruptions. I just want to make sure our listeners uh, are able to follow the, the trajectory of your interesting work here. So I, when I interrupted you, you're, you were explaining to me that this was a population that needed uh, additional study and you had uh, access to data that would tell you something important about them. Uh, keep going from there again. Sorry to have cut you off. So in general, I knew from the literature that people experiencing homelessness were at elevated risk for poor health, poor mental conditions. They had higher rates of substance abuse, mortality. And so getting them access to care wasn't the only barrier, but being able to equate how much that impact made on their access to care was important. And as I said, we were able to identify this population, which was the limitation of a lot of the literature out there. There was a lot of cross-sectional studies or small qualitative informational interviews, but those were not able to access the true impact of those individuals gaining coverage. And so since we had the capability to do that, we thought, why not? So rather than a survey, which might talk to a very small number of people, you have administrative data. You know the claims that were paid on behalf of this high need population. And you have that for basically everyone who gained coverage. What'd you find? So what we found is that in Arkansas, Medicaid Association was associated with a very large initial increase in both inpatient hospitalizations and emergency department visits. But steadily over time, we saw a decline. And we saw this decline most potently in those adults that were experiencing homelessness. Within our comparison population, we did not see the same movement. Um, and that's very important because by having this comparison population to compare to individuals experiencing homelessness, it let us know that if we would have seen a change within our comparison group as well, that we wouldn't be able to attribute the changes that we were seeing in our homeless group to Medicaid expansion. It could have been some other thing going on in Arkansas that also was impacting our control group. And as we did not see those changes, we could attribute in the impacts we saw to Medicaid expansion. Okay, so I'm going to break that down into two areas. The first is what you're describing sounds like something I've heard referred to as pent-up demand. Can you talk a little bit about what that concept is and how you know whether or not it existed in this situation? So our evidence actually do provide evidence of pent-up demand in our population. So what we see is right after gaining insurance coverage, this huge spike in acute care among this population that we're studying. And we attributed that, that now they have this access to healthcare after expansion and they're using it. But over time, we saw in our ED visits, as well as our inpatient hospitalizations, a drop to the same utilization patterns as they had or lower in the case of inpatient hospitalizations than they had before expansion occurred. So within the concept of pent-up demand, we're seeing this pattern of 
uh, people gain insurance coverage, they're using it at mass quantities. But then over time, it lowers steadily. And like I said, in the case of inpatient hospitalizations, it lowered past the point than what we saw prior to expansion. Now, I used to work in state government and uh, legislators and governors are very concerned about the size of their Medicaid budgets. The early years of the Affordable Care Act expansion uh, were covered entirely by federal funds, but over time, those uh, the states have to put in a share. How did policymakers or have you gotten a sense of how policymakers think about the implications of pent-up demand and this spike in costs uh, that occurs right after people gain coverage? So I haven't gotten a sense of policymakers' viewpoint on pent-up demand. Um, What I have gotten a feel for is the impact of this more so on health systems than policymakers. So in looking at the perspective within a healthcare provider lens or a health system lens, what we saw is this large initial increase that was very short in time. And then over time, uh, leveling back out to normal patterns of care. So within looking at it from a healthcare provider or a health system perspective, you would need more support in that short-term initial span after expansion occurred within a state to support the uptake of utilization of the services. But that does not mean I would recommend to a system that they redo everything because as we see in the paper, it's a very short-lived influx within the system. And then after that, a leveling out. So you kind of have to brace yourself and be prepared for these extra expenses, but have some confidence based on these data that uh, that will taper off and maybe even plateau at a slightly lower level. That's correct. And what we also thought about was the fact of like the impact of the sizes that we saw within the paper. So within Arkansas, there was not already a generous state program for homeless individuals or targeted case management provided to these individuals. Other programs within expansion states where those programs already existed, they would also see an impact, but maybe not as big as an impact as we saw in Arkansas, where we did not already have those outreach or targeted case management for this population. Well, it's a good place for us to take a quick break. Hi, I'm Leslie Erdelak. And I'm Vabron Watts. Hey, Leslie, the Health Affairs Podcast Network is really growing. I know, Vabe, our new podcast, Health Affairs This Week, places listeners at the center of health policy's proverbial water cooler. Each week, our trusted editors discuss this week's most pressing health policy news. Yeah, so you don't want to be left out of the conversation, especially when news breaks. This week catches you up on what's happening and what to expect in the field of health policy, all in 15 minutes or less. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen and join the fun. And we're back and I'm talking to Dr. Jarrell Self about Medicaid expansion in Arkansas and its implications for people experiencing homelessness. When we went to the break, you were talking about pent-up demand and how it leveled off over time. Uh, We don't tend to get deep into research methods in these conversations, but I do think for your paper, it's worth spending a moment 
this isn't a random assignment evaluation. You don't have half the people experiencing homeless in one program and half in the other. So how did you approach the idea of figuring out what the effects were of this particular uh, program expansion? So within our paper, we use a technique where we estimated a series of comparative interrupted time series models. So within those models, we plotted year quarter utilization rates for both our populations of interest, one of which being individuals experiencing homelessness and the other a traditional Medicaid population. So although homeless individuals were put in traditional as close to a traditional Medicaid population as possible, they weren't put in a true traditional Medicaid population. However, both of these populations didn't experience cost sharing or any other things that those that were put in the true private option population receiving premiums were adhered to. So this was as close to a true control group for our homeless individuals as we could get. So then within that model, we calculated linear baseline trends that we projected through our post-expansion periods. And this was really important because it let us look at the relative change in utilization prior to expansion and after expansion had the service utilization rates that we carry through our post-expansion period continue to follow the same trends as they did prior to expansion, then we would have had the conclusion that gaining insurance had no impact or no effect on the utilization pattern within our treated group, which were individuals experiencing homelessness. But what we saw in the paper were very large spikes in our post-expansion period, and then comparing those post-expansion results to those in our control group, we saw no movement at all in their control group. So not only was the comparative time interrupted series model an approach that let us look at these changes within our treated group pre and post-expansion, by having this control group that was as close to our homeless um, treated group as possible, again, it let us know that the impacts that we were seeing in homeless individuals in Arkansas were attributed to Medicaid expansion and not some other change going on in the health system in Arkansas. What you just said is a reminder that when we're confronted with a health policy question, uh, you have to be creative in using the data that you have to come to as strong a conclusion as possible, even when you don't have a randomized control trial, which is a very hard thing to do and has ethical implications when you're talking about a coverage expansion. So you've taken the best possible approach, and that's part of what the peer review process is, is to make sure that that scholars looking at this say, well, given the question you were trying to answer, you've, you've used the best possible methods, even though that method may have some limitations. That's extremely correct. Um, the thing that I've learned in getting more and more into Medicaid expansion research, which I'm very passionate about, is a lot of times you don't have the most ideal data situation to explore the question that you want at hand, but there's still value in asking that question. So with the data that you have and the methods that the established methods we have available. We have to do the best that we can with the data we have and the methods we have to answer the question as best we have. 
And one of the great strengths of yours is you had administrative data statewide, which is a rich data source that, as you mentioned, smaller studies of homeless populations can go deep, but they can't go as broad. So that's the trade-off here. Before the break, you were talking about sort of the the change in coverage, particularly in the context of pent-up demand. So it seems like what you have described happening in Arkansas could be a different phenomenon in other states. So if you could just give us a little sense of sort of what uh, how you would look at these findings if you were in a state with a different level of support for people experiencing homelessness or different pre-existing Medicaid eligibility standards? So I would definitely say for states that expanded Medicaid, that our findings have the same implications for them as they would for Arkansas. I just want to caveat what I was talking about is that Arkansas didn't have a pre-established support system for these homeless individuals. So in other expansion states, they would see an impact in giving homeless individuals coverage under their Medicaid programs. However, if they already had an infrastructure of support, I couldn't say that the impacts or the size and impacts that we saw in Arkansas, they would see. They would see some impact, but probably not at the scale that we saw. However, for non-expansion states, I think the results that we showed show that if you give people coverage, they use it. And in the case of this very particular group that we know is a higher need group, they use it effectively. And then from there, look at their access patterns. Um, I think a good place to transition these results is once you identify these people, which is a very hard thing to do without getting them to come in for care or answer a screener or something else. Once you identify this population and you give them coverage, then you open the door for targeted case management, for helping them understand how to use the services that they now have access to, but without giving them that opportunity it's hard to identify who they are and change these patterns of care. So with expansion, it gave them access to care. And in the case of Arkansas, the ability to identify them and work with them on their patterns of care. And it also makes me think that the Affordable Care Act had, as I mentioned earlier, the federal government picked up 100% of the cost in the first couple of years for states that started in 2014. For states that took up the expansion later, Uh, they're not getting that 100% period when there's the pent-up demand. And there has been talk about extending the 100% provision uh, for states as they pick up expansion. And this suggests that maybe that would be a value to sort of pay for some of this pent-up demand. I agree with you. So let's just uh, close with a question about, you said you're passionate about research in this area. So what uh, what comes next? What What's the next question you're lined up to answer? Um, so there's several, some qualitative, some quantitative. So understanding that homelessness and housing instability are key components of social determinants of health. I think we need a better understanding as a research base completely of an understanding of how these individuals got here and how on that social determinants of health pattern or journey that we can help them not get to this point. So I think there needs to be more qualitative work in this area to examine this. Also, as I've said several times, identification of this population is a struggle. So as we continue to build more integrated data systems, we need to be smart in the way that we build them 
in hopes that maybe we can collect data to better identify them and track this population. Um, in terms of our study, although we were able to look at very impactful acute care outcomes, I'm well aware that there's a lot of other outcomes of interest that are more prevalent in this population, such as behavioral health utilization or primary care utilization. In our paper, we weren't able to look at those utilization patterns, but I think there is merit in gaining a deeper understanding into these additional utilization patterns within this population. And then the last area that I think is really important for future research in this area is understanding the impact of targeted case management programs on this population. And from the utilization that we saw in this paper in the ED, I think that the ED is a critical location to build those interventions for targeted case management, especially when you're targeting homeless individuals. Well, you've already made a great contribution to the literature, and it sounds like you've got some terrific additional questions to keep you busy for quite a while and to help us all understand uh, how to better serve this population. So, uh, Dr. Self, thank you so much for t uh, writing the paper and taking time with me today to talk about it. And thanks so much for the opportunity to be here to talk about it, Alan. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Brian Dobbs, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>